Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The Bible is what it is, and it's always been that way, and I think most of the history of the Christian church has understood that because they they haven't been biblicistic or literalists. They've understood the the uh, uh, the, the metaphorical nature of Scripture, the symbolic nature of Scripture, and in fact, they revel in it. Most of the history of the Christian Church, you know, and that's it's just, we need to just rediscover that stuff. go that's two down we, we can do this adam we can we can totally do this what's up everybody <laughs> this is your second deconstructionists episode of 2019 and we are just so proud to give you another episode because it is taking everything we have to survive right now <laughs> no, i'm so tired <laughs> <laughs> but this is important it is and um a while back when john and i were six leagues under the sea of life just drowning we got a random email yeah and it's pete ends yeah and he's like the good doctor peter ends are you alive guys like (laughs) i know i've got a book coming out i'd love to chat with you about it and it was at that moment that john and i realized we are too busy and too getting crushed by life right now (laughs) because pete ends just had to reach out to us and it felt like a hug it did. And a sign. And a kick in the butt. That we have to keep going. We have to keep doing this. Yeah. Because so like, we should new... probably book some interviews yeah. now. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. I, this this, this right. matters. He's this right. matters. <laughs> this matters. We have to get Pete Enns on because yes. this book is awesome. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. And we get to talk about it um, with him, you know, so we won't get too far into it right here. But, you know, something that we, I don't think we get to in the interview that I thought was just so dope from this book is he talks about how, um, you know, this book's obviously all about the Bible and, you know, in tr- traditional Pete N style, it's <laughs> full of great sarcasm, tongue in cheek, you know, just so funny, which just sets everybody at ease because we're often just way too rigid and serious about this stuff. Like we've got to be so spiritual and so holy. So that's why I actually think that Pete's sarcasm, his East Coast, you know, New Jersey sarcasm um, is probably God-ordained sarcasm. I think it might be. Because it actually puts people at ease and brings people back down to the ground. We can actually talk about this like human beings because that's what we are. So in the book, the the one quote that I just love that we didn't get to in the interview, so I had to do it here, (laughs) is like he he says that we can't appeal to the Bible as this unchanging standard that so many people want to appeal to it as because it, quote, never sits still. Yeah. It just kind of drops the mic. You know, we can't appeal to the Bible as an unchanging standard because the Bible never sits still, which is a really postmodern, Derrida, Computo, you know, kind of remark. And I just love that there's so much going on in the Bible that we have to deconstruct how we look at it so that we can come back to it with fresh eyes. And that's a freaking good thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it, God, I, I remember when I finally was like, you know what, I should probably start reading books for these podcast interviews. And so, of course, I was excited to dig into this one. Um, when this one arrived, it's got great cover art, too, by the it way. Really, it really does have great cover art. And a great subtitle, <laughs> which we talk about in the interview. Best subtitle. But um, it's just, as you said, it's just a really accessible book on this very heavy topic. And it's, it's you know, it's got his usual sense of humor in it. And it's, uh, like, the way he breaks it down, like, we talk about a little bit about how he um, digs into, like, Deuteronomy and some other books of the Bible and, and, and really kind of breaks down in a way that anybody can understand. And I always have appreciated that about him, is he doesn't come across like your typical, like, biblical scholar, which he is. It's so good. Yeah. He really, yeah, it's, that is his gift. And Jared Baez does a great job with him. So if, uh, if you're new to this podcast, um, we interviewed Dr. Peter Enns uh, about two years ago. Um, mm-hmm. I can't remember exactly what episode was it, uh, what it was, but it was called The Sin of Certainty. And uh, that's a really great book that you should go grab. Um, we unpack a little bit of that in this episode, but uh, that'll give you his history and his bio and um, a whole lot more frame of reference um, with this. And he's got a great podcast called The Bible for Normal People. And um, this was just a, this was the quickest Oh my gosh. 50 minute conversation. Yeah. It was like, what, 45 minutes into this conversation, we had to keep it to about 50 minutes. And I looked over at you and I'm like, oh my gosh, dude, it's almost over. Like, <laughs> and I feel like we're done. We just started talking. Yeah. So, I mean, this is a great place to start, but absolutely go get this book, How the Bible Actually Works. Yep. Um, it is definitely worth your time and your money uh, to, to really dig in much, much deeper than we could have possibly ever had to. I mean, it would have taken. 15 podcasts with him. We didn't to, even have that many questions and we didn't get to like any of them because it was just content just flowing like wine. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so check it out. Um, and, and again, those of you who are just starting to follow us, um, you know, check out our prior episode with him, check out our, uh, episode with Jared Bias, his co-host, mm-hmm. uh, you know, this past year in 2018 as well. That was a good one. We talked about the Bible on that one too, mm-hmm. because we're normal people. We are. So, um, Ish. Thanks to all our Patreon people. Thanks for everybody that's sticking with us, despite the fact that we're getting kicked in the teeth in 2019. Thank you for the, your, your love and support and even encouraging tweets and texts and emails and things like that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, and without further ado, we should roll out Pete Freakin' Ends. All right, well, it's a big day for us here in 2019. We've, we've brought back a heavy hitter, Pete freaking ends. Thank you so much for being back on the Deconstructionist you know, it, podcast. I've noticed something, guys. Like, it's uncanny. It's absolutely uncanny, but it's like almost all, if not all, of your guests have the same middle name. I, I think that's the common thread. That's why we invite all of them on. Yeah, it's amazing. We, <laughs> that's how you pick your guests. We just reference people. That's right. Over the phone book or that's something. That's it. Yeah, okay. I have no idea how Good. that started. But it just became, it became a thing. Yes. And we can't. It certainly is. Yeah. I don't know. We're going to be like 50 years old, still saying freaking. I know. It, ha- it has posed a real problem though, when we've had guests on who already have three names. So, you know. Yeah. Right. Right. We just leave it yeah. out in those cases. But uh, a lot has happened since then. Um, first and foremost, you now have a podcast. Last time we talked, you did not. You know, that's right. I guess uh, um, as we're recording this, we actually, our first episode was 
um, two years ago, we're in the third season now. And the first episode was a little bit more than two years ago. Holy so, cow. Wow. Is that how long since I've been on? Holy smokes. It doesn't seem like That's it. That's probably true. No, because <laughs> that was, you know, the sin of certainty was, I think, the last thing we talked about. And that came out in, in like, April of 16. Wow. So it was sometime, you know, that year. And, and our podcast, we started in 17. Yeah, so it's weird. Time flies when you're it's having It's weird fun. how time just keeps going in the same direction. That's right. It's it amazing. stop. And we're always stunned that I'm like, it's not the same year it was two years ago. How can that be? <laughs> that makes no sense, right? So, But is it going in the same direction? I mean, is it? Yeah. We don't know. For all practical purposes, it is. <laughs> yes. Because yeah. eventually I die, which means that's proof yeah. that time is kind of a certain direction. <laughs> hey, no need to get metaphysical about this, guys. Right. You know, the, the gray hair in my beard is enough for me to know that time has continued to move. So, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Just trying to throw us all for a loop to break the ice here. That's right. <laughs> so, so Pete, you've got yes. lots of stuff going on. You've got a new book. We're going to talk about that. Yeah. Um, if people want to hear a little bit more about what you're doing, you know, um, from like you know your history and your background and you know other stuff. You know, definitely check out the Bible for normal people. Get on PeteEnds.com and all that kind of stuff. But um, I thought I'd kick this off with um, something a little bit personal and that'll, that'll kind of go into uh, the book that we're going to talk about today. So a while back, uh, the Gospel Coalition, which is an organization that, uh, if you don't know, listeners out there, um, a lot of evangelical superpowers put together like this organization that tells us kind of what to do and what to read. And there's a lot of blog posts and conferences and a lot of white guys saying a lot of stuff. And uh, there was a really interesting post that uh, someone named uh, Alyssa Childers had written that said progressive Christians, which I think all of us on this call right now would probably be lumped into that group, mm-hmm. are, um, are essentially a click away from atheism. And, and by the way, that's a really bad thing. And, you know, there, there was a lot of backlash. And I don't even know why I read the article in the first place, but I did. And... Man, um, a lot of things kind of got stirred up about like, oh, how unhealthy is deconstruction and progressive Christianity? And you had responded to that both on your blog and you had a, a one-off episode on the Bible for Normal People podcast where you, you really talked through that in what I thought was a really loving, helpful way. And I was wondering if we could just touch base on what's going on there in that whole microcosm with you know, what's going on in the article that the Gospel Coalition wrote and your response. And I think it'll be a great place for us to kick off this episode to talk about your new book, because I think it fits right in. Okay, yeah, sure. Uh, I, I guess there are probably, you know, many different ways of breaking down, you know, what's happening in that subculture, so to speak. And just in my opinion, you know, what what I what I see is... Uh, what seems to be a complete lack of awareness that the Christian tradition is very broad and it's much broader than any one tradition will allow. And one thing that it's very broad about is the nature of the Bible. There's simply no question about that. You just, you know, look at the history of how people have looked at the Bible and basically they're not modern, you know, po- Postmodernist kind of inerrantist. In other words, things that developed in the 19th and 20th centuries. Um, a lot of people think that's sort of normal ways of looking at the Bible, mm. sort of a propositional way. You know, there are statements and you just do what it says. So what I call, you know, playfully a rule book view of the Bible or a Christian owner's manual or cookbook view. You know, just, just follow the directions and you're good. 
and it's it's it is much more complicated than that. But there is a um, there, there really is a stunning self confidence among some, not everybody, but among some about well, basically, we know we're right. Now let's talk. Yeah. You know, and and this is a problem for me because I think things are much more complicated. And so, I just felt that the piece that Alyssa did was um, both rather typical and really disappointing at the same time. Mm. And I just felt that, you know, there are people who have questions. I was asked a lot of questions about that, which is really what prompted me to respond in some way. Mm. You know, and since I was named, you know, not as much as I'd like to just, why can't I be the worst bad guy? once in a while? <laughs> Why do I? Oh yeah. And ends, you know, along, come on, just guys make me it. I just, I missed that. John and I, I just, were just hoping we would get named because it would just be <laughs> such a phenomenal free piece of, of PR. Yeah. Wouldn't it though? I would have paid cash money. I keep, I keep telling people you're helping me sell books. You're like that. Okay. <laughs> fine, fine, fine. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So, and I guess in terms of what's going on there, it is a lot of what I talked about in the sin of certainty to begin with that, you know, we are absolutely certain how all this God business works and we're absolutely certain how the Bible works. And, if you don't see it that way, yeah, you're a Christian, sort of, but it's only a matter of time before you slide down the slippery slope to atheism or agnostic beliefs or whatever, and uh, don't say we didn't warn you, mm. you know? So, you know, there's there's a, a you know, a, a, a well-known tendency among some, and I think, you know, I don't mind mentioning the Gospel Coalition is, is well-known for this of being belligerent. Mm. And uh, that's not a negative for them. That's that's a positive. Belligerent doesn't mean you hate other people, even though it can come across like that occasionally. Belligerent means we're here to fight. It's yeah. as simple as that. We're yeah. here to defend the gospel for the rest of you who don't get it. Yeah. And I, I felt that the, the, the piece was so, uh, just from beginning to end, baked into the piece where I think fairly basic misunderstandings of the nature of Christian thought, of Christian history, of the nature of the Bible that are assumed to be true and that I felt let let's you know take this apart a little bit and mm. and at least for anything I'm not going to try to convince anybody there but for other people reading who say you know maybe there is another way of thinking about this and that might be life-giving to them and not sort of a pressure to conform to ways of thinking that are at the end of the day, I think completely untenable. Mm. So I did it. You did. And it was wonderful. It really was to me personally. I mean, I, I listened to that episode of the Bible for normal people as I listened to all episodes of the Bible for normal people. Good man. And, um, and it just really helped. It gave me such good, um, I think healthy language, um, to step back and just say, no, it's like, it's okay. Cause I think a lot of people that end up listening to a podcast like mine or yours is wondering if it's okay. My, like, you know, am I okay? Is, is this okay? Oh, right. Yeah. I mean, th this, th that's a great point because it's people who let's say have been in that world and are looking for a way out, but they keep getting sucked back in because it's, it's a lot of fear. Like what if I'm wrong and they're right, I'm going to hell. 
Mm-hmm. Right. So am I okay? Am I okay? But the funny thing is you talk to, I'm going to say this without reservation. You talk to most people in the world who are Christian and they'll look at that mentality and they say, what are you crazy? Yeah. Like, I don't even know what you're talking about. You know, yeah, like you know what? just huh? this, these assumptions about even, even if some of these things are worth debating or arguing about the, the, the assumption that these are essential to the core nature of the Christian faith or that, that's something that would strike others as just nonsensical. You know, I just don't understand why you're doing this. Yeah. Don't you realize you're sort of talking like Americans right now? You know, you know what I mean? It's like the, <laughs> very it's, particular cultural baggage there. And um, yeah. so, yeah, you know, and, and like most things, I think it really comes down, at least in these kinds of debates, it comes down to, you know, the two questions I've been asking and I talk about all the time, you know, what is the Bible and what do you do with it? And yeah. there are very clear answers that the Gospel Coalition and others that have an affinity with them, they have ways of answering those questions that are very clear, mm. very precise, and non-negotiable. Mm. But I just think the Bible is very negotiable, not because it's stupid, but because it's very diverse and it's multi-layered and if it is God's word, whatever you mean by that, it's got to be far more interesting than what people make it out to be. And and what you've kind of done in those questions, what what is the Bible and what do we do with it, is you, you start with like, you know, the Bible tells me so, the sin of certainty, and there's some, you know, when you ask those questions, there's going to be, you know, built in some deconstructing, not, not a shameful plug there, just using a word that's familiar to all right. of us. But then you come to this book that John and I want to ask you a ton of questions about, and you start doing what looks a lot more like, oh, this isn't really deconstruction. I mean, it is, because they always go together, but this is like really constructive. Trying to be, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, there, the deconstruction is not bad. You know, just it's always negative. No, it's, it's sometimes you have to really deconstruct carefully, and and even if you don't, provide the answer right away for what, well, then how does it work? You know, <laughs> yeah. like, I mean, I, here's something that I get a lot and I totally get this. I know where it's coming from, but well, Pete, you're doing, you know, a really good job sort of knocking this Bible around and showing us it's no big deal. Well, then how do I know about what I believe? How, how can I be sure that I'm mm-hmm. believing the right things? Mm-hmm. And, you know, my, what I'm trying to do is say, listen, that, Maybe running back to that sense of security isn't what you should be doing right now in your faith. Maybe you should be exploring. And all I'm doing is that the way you've been taught the Bible works doesn't seem to be the way it works. And not because I have clever arguments, but because just read it. Just internally, the Bible simply won't allow certain points of view about what the Bible is. They can't survive. There's too much heat. (laughs) It melts, you know, and and, you know, the Bible is what it is, and it's always been that way. And I think most of the history of the Christian Church has understood that because they haven't been biblicistic or literalists. They've understood the, the, uh, uh, the, the metaphorical nature of Scripture, the symbolic nature of Scripture. And, in fact, they revel in it, most of the history of the Christian Church. Hmm. You know, and that's, it's just, we need to just rediscover that stuff. And the thing is, we're doing it now. I mean, I should speak for myself. I'm doing that decidedly from a modernist point of view. This is sort of weird because modernists are known for sort of, you know, analytical black and white thinking and all that kind of stuff. And I'm very much into that, but it's actually 
my study of the Bible academically within that world that has helped me see that it only goes so far. Mm. And there is a need for what some people call like a second naivete going back to the Bible and mm. like, like, you know, trying to read it as if you don't know anything, but still realizing you can't go back to fundamentalism. That's not going to work. Right. So, you know, I, I think there's, there, there's so much that can be talked about here and, there are so many people just, you know, Jared and I, you know, on the podcast, we keep coming across them who are asking all exactly the same questions. They just yep. don't know it. Yep. They think they're alone. I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? <laughs> no way. Uh, to, to use your phrase, no freaking way. <laughs> no freaking way. <laughs> okay. Did I do that right? Okay. It was, it was better. It was I haven't better. said that word since junior high school. So it's I don't really better, know actually. It right, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ad, Adam's bringing it back, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, oh good. Well, one of the things I love about your new book, uh, How the Bible Actually Works, is you, you take a different approach, and you talk about that at the very beginning of the book, where it's a little different than your prior book. So what was what was your goal in, in this book in particular that, that make, makes it a little different than your previous works? Yeah, trying to say, listen, you know, that you we need to talk about what the Bible isn't, but then at the end of the day, we do need to start talking more about what the Bible is. Mm. And that's really one of the main motivations for the book, because I really asked myself, you know, deconstruction, especially when you're deconstructing somebody else, <laughs> is easy. It's very, very easy to poke holes in any sort of a theological theory, because they all have holes. Yep. If you know enough, you know where the holes are, and you can poke at them, you can explode them, you can make the thing dis- disintegrate. So that's an easy thing to do, but a question that I keep coming back to and have been coming back to really, really since the Bible tells me so, and this is now five years ago, where I was being asked by people, okay, but what is the Bible? How does it work? What does it do? And enough of those kinds of questions got me thinking But to myself. I said, well, Pete, what do you think? Like, how would you actually articulate in your own mind what is the Bible? How does it work? Not what it isn't. That's, that's relatively easy, and you've done that. You don't have to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. You can return to it, but you don't have to write other books saying, here's what's wrong with the Bible. You know, actually, it's not what's wrong with the Bible. It's what's wrong with how people think of it. That's really the issue that I keep hammering home. But, okay, here's what's wrong, but here's maybe a way of thinking about the Bible that will, again, be life-giving and encouraging to people without having to you know, paper over things or make believe things aren't uh, all that problematic. You know, and that's why you know I I focus on three things that I see. I I use the term that that are baked into the Bible that you mm-hmm. can't avoid, mm-hmm. that are usually considered to be problems in conservative circles. Namely, the Bible is very ancient, which means it's obscure and out of touch with our reality. It's ancient. It's also ambiguous. It's actually not clear. How dare you say that? Yeah, no, I'm sorry. Pick something you think is clear, and we'll talk about why it's not clear. Okay? And the other is that it's diverse. You have different points of view expressed in this collection of writings that span, let's say, for argument's sake, about a thousand years. And this is the Bible we have, and these are these nagging problems we keep having to try to explain away in apologetics. But in fact, these are the things that really make the Bible worth reading, as far as I'm concerned. They're good things because they're showing us something 
about what we should expect from the Bible. Namely, a book you're going to have to work at. It's not just going to hand you answers. You're going to have to think about it. You're going to have to live. You're going to have to experience. And the big word for that is wisdom. Right, so it's it's a book of wisdom, not a book just of handing us answers like a helicopter parent or something like that. Yeah, and you talk about that just a little bit. Um, I loved the the three words that you kind of pitted your words against. You you talk about um, a lot of people want the Bible to be clear, holy, and perfect. Yeah, and and, um, and how that just presents with a lot of a, a lot of problems that tend towards you know knowledge rather than wisdom. So I feel like just right. with the title of your book how the Bible actually works. And then with yeah. the, the asterisks where it says, in which I explain how an ancient, ambiguous, and diverse book leads us to wisdom rather than answers and why that's great news. Um, mm-hmm. Fantastic title. Um, you really took yeah. all the work it's out of it. It's long. What I love Can I about- say something about the title, though? I mean, I, I keep... There, there are people in the world who I'm sure are nice people. They're great to their kids. They go to work. They pay their bills. They have absolutely no sense of humor at all. They're devoid of any sense of humor. <laughs> and I, I've gotten so many comments like, I can't believe he thinks he's telling us how the Bible actually works. <laughs> how dare he do that? He's so arrogant. I'm like, I'm not arrogant because I don't think I know how the Bible actually works. Okay, I could have titled this How I Think the Bible Actually Works, but that's boring. Yeah. yeah. Right. So how the Bible actually works, it's, it's, it's meant to goad and to get people interested into thinking about the topic. But my goodness gracious, Are I mean, the, I, I think it becomes pretty clear in the book that I'm, um, I don't think I've cornered the market on knowledge about the Bible, but <laughs> this is actually, this is not a deep book. It's, it's articulating things that forgive me. I will argue to the end of my days are patently obvious. The Bible is a messy book. It's ancient, it's ambiguous, it's diverse. It's a lot of other things too. And I say that, but it's also these things. And if you're going to engage it, you can't avoid these things. So let's talk about them. That's all. Are these people, and where do we what do we come up with at the end of the day? Are these people that have a, a a slight issue with the book title the same people that probably give you a hard time about saying that your podcast is the only God ordained oh podcast oh on gosh. the internet? The Don't only God ordained yeah. podcast on the internet. <laughs> yeah, and and again, I've gotten the emails from probably the same people. You know, you know. Are you? Do you really think you're the only God ordained podcast? What about all the other podcasts? Aren't they God ordained too? And I'm like, dude, you missed my point. <laughs> none of them. None of them are God ordained. I'm just so. kidding. In fact, in fact, if you listen, I'm getting really snarky here. In fact, if you listen, you'll you'll probably understand that what I'm trying to say is that none none of these podcasts are God ordained. Even the ones who think they are, even if they don't say it, right. Yeah, right. right. No, so I, it's like, can we it. just shut up about all this stuff? Like, <laughs> right. we're just having fun here and 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 trying to learn and trying to understand. And, and um, man, just, we don't have to hold on so tightly to this stuff. Pete, God's real. We don't have to hold on that tightly. We're just trying. Pete, is it possible that reading an ancient, ambiguous, and diverse book for so long has made sarcasm your love language? No, I think <laughs> growing up in New Jersey. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Is, I can't. I'd love to blame everything on my academic career, but I can't do that. So, um, yeah, it's just it's just my way, you know. And I'm actually much better at it than I used to be. I used to be more annoying than I am now. But um, so I will die a lonely man. But that's okay. Hey, <laughs> me. but let's keep digging into this title because you're right. It's okay. catchy. What people. It's it's going to make people like my my dad who um, isn't really familiar with your work. He just got the sin of certainty and. 
he's kind of exploring some of this stuff. Um, I think the way you start off this book, uh, even the way you title it, really appeals to people like this. And I love how you started off the book by talking about how we, you know, a lot of us have used the Bible to try to figure out how to raise our kids and, and why yeah. that's problematic. What do you mean? What point are you making there? Because it seems like you're really getting your finger on the nerve center that reveals how many people view the Bible in a certain way and what they hope to get out of the Bible and, and why yeah. that's the issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, an early example in the book that I talk about is, is a chapter called Screwing Up Your Kids Biblically. Yes. And yes. I, you know, again, thinking about what do I want to write about, I said, well, I was a horrible parent. Let's write about that. So, <laughs> gosh, you know, you'll have to ask my kids whether that's true or not. But, um, <laughs> but you see, the point is that here's something very important in the lives of many people, those who have children, like how to raise them. And for many Christians, it's like, well, you know, I need to raise them biblically. And all I did was like look through some passages in the Bible about raising kids biblically. If, if you're going to treat the Bible as a rule book, let's see what the rule book says. And it says contradictory things and some things that are just plain immoral. You know, I, I will not stone my rebellious teenager. I, I, won't, I won't bring him to the elders of the city, you know, like in Deuteronomy. And, you know, if he just doesn't fall into line, if he's a drunkard and all this kind of stuff, basically you just got to kill him, right? <laughs> and, I mean, I... I know enough about that topic that it's entirely likely that the author of Deuteronomy himself didn't intend to be understood here as, you need to do this. But it's more rhetorical in in a first millennium context, not to get into any of that sort of stuff, but that's irrelevant. The point is that normal people who live today read the Bible as a propositional book. Now, they'll never do that. Good for them. Mm -hmm. You know, Civilized societies were created so we don't do this sort of thing, right? But they, they, but still, the the assumption of how the Bible should act more or less like a rule book, unless it's impossible to, I think is really undervaluing the Bible. I think these texts are like that example. That's an ancient way of thinking. Well, we don't think that way, and we just have to say, okay, I don't think that way. I'm not doing that. But it's the Bible. I don't care. I'm not doing that, right? I'm not going to hold slaves, right? I'm not going to treat my virgin daughter as my property, mm. right? I'm going to try to pay attention to just the, the movement of the Bible itself, where there already is, let's say, progress in many areas within the pages of the Old Testament and also with the pages of the Old Testament. And I'm going to take that trajectory, that movement very, very seriously and say, how can I be a part of that stream? And it's not that I'm inventing something 2,000 years after Jesus. It's like this is the entire history of the church mm. has been taking trajectories and, and thinking freshly and differently about these ancient texts. Because if you're living any time after about the year, let's say, for argument's sake, 100 or 125 uh, CE, you know, if you're living like anywhere from like 100 years out after Jesus or something like that, you're living in a world that's so different from the world of the Old Testament writers and becoming very different from the world of first century Palestine because Jews don't live there anymore. You know, they, they, they flew the coop in AD 70 when the temple was destroyed. It's like, it's a different world. So you're encountering things in the year 150 or 200 or 400 or 800 or 1,000 or 1,500. You're encountering scenarios that the biblical writers could not have imagined. Absolutely impossible. You're living in a world they cannot touch down with. Mm. 
And so the burden is on us, or, or the privilege is on us, to think about how to, as others have said, match the horizons of this ancient text and a modern world that the writers of this ancient text never imagined. What do you do with that? That's called theology. That's all that is. Mm. And that's really, in a way, what I'm saying is that let's do theology. By the way, the Bible's already doing it. <laughs> the Bible's already thinking creatively about ancient contexts for new moments in this story of Israel and certainly in with the gospel with Jesus. What? So I started by talking about something that people can relate to. I love it. Raising your kids and how the Bible, you can't corral it. Cause time's not wasted when it's wasted on you. Every breath you'll be the one that I chose. I love that. I, I love how you bring that that point up uh, time and again. Throughout, throughout your book, that the Bible is this living, breathing document, not just this stagnant thing that's relegated to history, uh, but, right. but rather something that we have to engage with and reinterpret, you know, in, in light of our current, you know, uh, situation. So, um, and I mean, not to mince words, but, and I would put it the same way you just did, something that we have to work through. I want to try to get to be more conscious about saying something we get to work through. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Right? It's not a negative. It's not like, oh, oh, gee, I wish we had this perfect text. I guess we don't. I guess we have to work through it now. It's like, no, this is this is the cultivating of the spiritual life to do this. Right? And that's 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 why I say in the title, all this is good news, because it's actually bringing us to maturity as we think about the nature of our faith and what God is like and what it means to to follow Jesus in the world that we live in which is not scripted. I love it. I love it. So good, man. So one of the things I really want you to talk about is this thread uh, throughout the book where, where you, you talk about the quest for wisdom and mm. how the Bible is this book that puts us on that quest. Um, but you talk about wisdom in a way, not in some sort of lofty, out-of-reach sort of way, um, but you make this distinction between... Um, you know, how some view the Bible as a rule book and the idea that the Bible provides wisdom. So talk, I would love for you to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, a, a rule book mentality, which, which is a bit of a caricature. I really don't know anybody who treats the Bible as a whole as a rule book, but pretty close, right? So a rule book is, is the assumption that this Bible is there to give us clear answers to questions we happen to ask. A wisdom approach to the Bible, which... I think is is wiser you know, than a rule book view is the idea that well no it's we're always engaging the text but we're also engaging our own context there is no reading of the Bible apart from the world we live in and the world we live in affects how we read it and how we understand it what we get from it compare sermons today from sermons a thousand years ago. Right, they they say different things about the Bible, though, because it's the our humanity, our experience cannot be divorced from our task of doing theology. That's nonsensical to think that it can. That's good. And and you're right away there. So you're engaging this text. You're looking to it to help cultivate wisdom, which is much more than, you know, like I say in the book, it's more than reading the the book. It's reading the moment that you're in, and and how do these two things come together? 
those answers are rarely, if ever, laid out plain and simple in the Bible. You have to think about it. You know, if if you're like if you're in favor of like Earth Care, you know, reducing the carbon footprint, I wholeheartedly, completely agree. Those are right and holy and just and good. And I even say I think God wants that. I didn't get that from the Bible. Yeah, you can, if you need to, you can go to Genesis 1 about creation's good and all that kind of stuff. That still's not telling you what to do, right? It's, it's not telling you what to do. And, and, you know, we're not stewards over creation. We're masters over creation, according to Genesis 1. We have a kingly role. That's what it means to be made in God's image. You know, you rule creation in God's stead. God's up in the heavens someplace. You're down here ruling. And, you know, ruling benevolently, of course, so it could imply things like caring for the earth. But if you think, you know, ecology is part of the expression of the biblical worldview, I say, I don't, I don't think that's true. At best, you might get a whiff of it in a few verses if you twist them in certain ways. Right. Right. So, but the thing is that I, I think that God does care. And I've just reimagined God. And, and I use that word a lot, too, in the book. That, yeah. And I don't mind using it. I've just reimagined God because my context and my hopefully spiritual connection with the Creator and this wonderful tradition we have, which is not just the Bible, but 2,000 years after that, of thinking, of exploring, of, of pondering, all those things are at my disposal, not to mention the community of faith that you might be a part of and, and having wise people around you already who are showing you ways of thinking about things. All those things are good things, and I think at the end of the day, ultimately inevitable. I don't know how else to do this. Yeah, you know, I can't just go to an index and say, "Here, do this in this situation." I don't yeah. know. Maybe you guys can, but I can't. Well, I can <laughs> <laughs> and do whenever whenever I need to. Yeah, <laughs> whenever no. it's convenient. No, this is uh, <laughs> it's a lot more difficult, though, isn't it? To it's a lot more difficult to call people to the stream or the path of wisdom instead of claim to be uh, a God ordained authority and just tell, is, yeah. and just tell people what to do. It's just a lot, it's a lot harder. One sounds like you're, you know, telling people how it all should be. And the other sounds more like an invitation. It doesn't sell as well. No. You know, the invitation to journey and to have panic attacks and all that kind of stuff as you're going through it. <laughs> right. But, you know, another thing, I just, I wonder if that sort of is passing away because, you know, one thing, again, this is somewhat anecdotal, but I'm sure people have studied this sort of thing. But, you know, when you think of young people like leaving the church, mm-hmm. but I also see people yearning for, um, a religious life that's not easy, that's supposed to be an investment and not simply, well, here's a book, just follow it. What are you, an idiot? You can't, can't you read? It says right here, don't do this or do this. That, that's, the, that's unsatisfying because it's, it doesn't grab you deep down in your soul. It's more just a transaction that you have to complete. Right, mm. but the way of wisdom is is a deep down thing, and it is it is as it is a path. Absolutely, that you're going to say to yourself, "I'm not sure if I'm doing the right thing." Well, you know what? Keep going, and you'll find out. Right, but what if I'm wrong? Yeah, what if you're wrong? Well, what will God think? Well, 
do you have kids? Do they make mistakes? Are they trying their best? Are mm-hmm. they sometimes a little bit misbehaved, but they're trying their best? I mean, what do you think of them? Are you going to throw them into outer darkness? Or, or is this what's <laughs> happening here? Or, or are you just going to just understand and love them for what they are? Yeah, a lot of this has to do with motives, I think. You know, just, just what is our disposition? Why are we even talking about God? Why are we even reading the Bible at all? Yeah. And if it's to cultivate, you know, that terrible term, but cultivate a relationship with the Creator, you're, you're going to have these moments, like in any relationship, of uncertainty, mm. of like, oh, I didn't expect that, you know, but it's okay, you stick with it. Right. Rather than just this cold, rather legal transaction, which is how many people are raised. And that's why that, that's definitely one reason why people leave the church. And I don't blame them. You know, you're really touching on something that I think is underneath all of this that I relate to um, very deeply to, you know, as a recovering fundamentalist, uh, somebody that was, you know, raised in the in the way that you contrast in your book is seeing the Bible as um, perfect, clear, and holy, um, and needing it to be a rule book, needing it to give me knowledge and not wisdom. Um, when I look underneath that, and actually we talked about this a little bit with Jared in a different way when he was on our podcast recently. Oh, tell me that so I can correct him. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's why I bring this up. Oh, I hope he's listening. Anyway, okay, good. That's why I'm bringing this up. <laughs> but what I realized about myself, and there were some things that he was saying that made me realize, I just keep realizing this over and over again, that underneath my need for the Bible to be clear, perfect, holy, underneath my need for knowledge and not wisdom, and why that's so attractive, and back to your other question, why that sells better, is because underneath all that, I was not convinced that God loved me no matter what. I was yeah. not convinced that um, I, I could not... Uh, I, I, w- I was always worried that there was judgment coming, that I was going to fail, that I was going to be, um, yeah, like, you know, to borrow the phrase, you know, extreme, but cast into outer darkness or whatever. There was a fear underneath all of it. And one of the things that you keep saying in your book is that what you experience is that you want to do this because you're, you've experienced the God that's always with you. And that actually, you know, gives you... The, the power, maybe that's not the right word, but the motivation, the, the freedom, yeah. joy to actually take part in this. And that is a different, there's something different about that. Yeah. And I think that that, to me, you know, really explains all of it. Because, you know, to, to get down to another thing that you said in the book and get to a question here, um, you, you talk about this is a book on the Bible. It's titled to be a book about the Bible, but really it's a book about God. And why do we need a book about God? And, you know, a, a book about God is actually just a book about asking the question, like, what does it mean to live well? Mm-hmm. And so just talk about that. Like 2019, you know, the questions, who is God? What is God doing? How do those relate back to the question everybody's asking? What does it mean to live well? Yeah, I mean, that that's a huge and important question. And I'm thinking here just, how many hours it would take me to actually formulate something that I could live with here. But (laughs) um, yeah, I I think at the end of the day, really what we're after is at least for people of faith, right? What is God like? And then what difference does that make really in how I live and, and not how you live in such a way that you're going to make sure God's not going to whack you. Right. 
right? But living in such a way that, I mean, as, as, as Christian friends of mine say, to be good world citizens and, and, and agents of redemption and agents of healing and things like that. Mm. And this is, see, this is the thing. I mean, I teach college students, you know, and I'm so sick to death of 18 to 22 year olds. You have no idea, but anyway, <laughs> um, no, I love you all terribly, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So, um, but the, the, the thing is that I can see the students, even uh, including those who come from, let's say more conservative backgrounds. I do think they're eager to ask bigger questions that many of them, not all, but many of them may not have been used to being able to discuss or ask in their ecclesiastical context. Mm. You know, I think they are asking questions of meaning of human meaning. I mean, here's an example. Mm. Um, A few years ago, um, a student at Eastern came out as gay and chose to do so on, um, on social media. And the, the comments, a very well loved student, um, the comments from the students were so utterly supportive. Mm. Every, I mean, like two, 300 comments very quickly. Wow. We love you. This, that, you know, just, you know, we love you the way you are. This is so glad you said this. We support you all that. And I'm reading some of these comments. I'm reading the names attached to them and saying, uh, you believe the world's 6,000 years old. <laughs> how, can, how can you right. possibly, how can you, reckon, not, not, how can you reconcile those things, right? But I'm glad that they're doing that, you know, because, mm-hmm. see, for them, I think the question that, that is burning inside of them is, how can I be a person in this global community? And that starts with loving people unconditionally. And my own points of view are going to be not the most important thing that I talk about. In other words, the community of faith means more to them than doctrinal rightness, right? And I'm not saying there's no room for discussing doctrine and whether some things are right or wrong. Of course, of course that's, that's part of the history of the Christian tradition, sure, too. Sure. But they're, that's not their center of gravity. Hmm. You know, they're not fighting the 19th century heresies or anything. <laughs> they're trying to say... How can I be, for our generation, a post-9-11 um, where we find ourselves siding more with Muslims than with Christians because of how they're treated in our own country, right? How, how can we just be, as simple as this, be better people? Oh. And the Christian language for that is how can we be more conformed to the image of the crucified and risen Christ in the world we live in. Mm. That's it. Yeah. That's, that is the, that's the question. And that's the question of meaning that, and connected to that is what is God like. And if you have a, uh, what I would call a really sub Christian view of how the Bible works, you've derailed that question from the very beginning. You can't, you can't get to those bigger questions of meaning because it's always about defending a point of view and making sure other people agree with you, and if they don't, like in the you know what we began this podcast with, right? If if you don't, if you don't agree with this, you're not really Christian. Hmm. They're there. I know you're trying, but you're not really one of us. Yeah, I think, and I think that's people don't have patience for that right now, and I'm I'm frankly glad they don't have patience for that. Yeah. I will hold on, I will hold on anyway, anyway. You are bigger than.
Yeah, I, just thinking about what you just said, the, I think the other thing that that a lot of folks like us who are kind of labeled for better or for worse is like progressive Christians or whatever whatever current label we're we're given right now is that we're also not we just we don't take the Bible seriously. You know, if you took the Bible yeah. seriously, and seriously always inevitably means literally almost whatever, always almost always whatever form that takes. Right. So yeah. I think one of the most important uh, chapters of your book is where you, you dive into uh, Deuteronomy and you're talking about the formation of Deuteronomy where yeah. you're, where you're, you're, you're providing uh, evidence. You're saying, look, this is, you know, the, the authors of the Bible were, were flexible and, and adapting and changing uh, as, you know, as, as time progressed, you know? So mm-hmm. I, I would love for you to talk about that a little bit. Cause I think that's so important. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, about Deuteronomy specifically or about just anything, because that's, you know, that's a big topic in the book that the Bible itself seems that the authors are flexible because the authors are engaging earlier traditions. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, w- just one quick example is that yeah. there's a slave law in Exodus that says Hebrew slaves, um, male slaves have the right to go free in the seventh year. Uh, female Hebrew slaves may not. Very adamant. Dang it. I know. Can you believe that? Well, Deuteronomy comes along, which is a later law code. It's it's later than Exodus, probably even centuries removed, according to critical biblical scholarship. It's not all coming from one person at one time. So in Deuteronomy, it's very adamant. It's like male and female Hebrew slaves can go free. They have the right to go free in the seventh year. And, you know, most scholars say this is like an increased sense of humanitarianism at this mm. point. Mm-hmm. But then you have Leviticus, which is probably even you know a little later, or at least from a different kind of tribe of of, of Israelites. But there, it's like uh, you can't have Hebrew slaves at all. Wow, because you were slaves in Egypt, right? So, I mean, those are in on on a literal level incompatible laws. So don't try to make them compatible. Learn from this about like what's our Bible doing. All three of these laws are claimed by the Torah, to come from God to Moses at Mount Sinai. I mean, think about that. They're all, they're all claiming that, and yet they're incompatible, right? Because they're written by different Israelites at different times, under different circumstances, who have pondered different aspects of their own reality, and they are reimagining God as a result of that. Oh, man. Now, some people will say, well, that's, you know, that's not, they're not reimagining anything. They're just progress. It's progressive revelation. In other words, you know, as time goes on, God is clearer or God progresses in some ways. Well, yeah, again, I'm not sure if that really solves their problem because you still have change. Like, why isn't God the same yesterday, today, and forever? Why is there change in God? Does God change his mind? Is that it? Or is God just giving you what you can handle? Whatever. Those are, okay, fine. If you need to you know, explore those explanations. But for me, a much simpler explanation is that there are people trying to interpret and understand what it means to live in God's reality in their point in time. And they come up with different, different answers. Mm, Yeah. That's so good. That's the question right there. So we're running a little bit short on time here. So I've got 10 more questions that I'm not going to ask you. (laughs) I just want you to know that I have them. But okay. <laughs> the last question that I'm going to ask you is, because this is, again, personal for me. I've got, I've got a couple people that are near and dear to me that are kind of going through some of this uh, destabilization, some shifting. Yeah. 
um, asking some questions, realizing that, uh, wow, this, uh, this is shocking. This is, you know, so what, what do you tell people who feel stuck, who feel uncomfortable, uh, or perhaps even a little bit defensive because that quote answer book that's supposed to be clear and holy and perfect, which has formed their very identity, who they know themselves to be in this world is being challenged and they can, they can, I mean, you make a lot of sense in the book, man. You make a lot of sense on your podcast. A lot of these, you're just going where the questions take you. And that's easy for people to follow, especially normal people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nicely done, Adam. <laughs> Sorry. That was just too easy. It was just too easy. But, but what ends up happening it's to, to some people that are near and dear to me right now that are experiencing this is this de- destabilization really challenges their identity and can start to produce some depression, some anxiety, you know, some, their identity, who they used to be, how they used to relate to their friends, their family, the world is now being threatened. What do you, what is, what do you say to those people? What, how do you help them with that? Yeah. I mean, probably the first thing I'd say is I understand. Mm -hmm. And so have a bazillion people in the course of human history who have been struggling with the same thing. You know, um, I wonder what they said in the first century when Paul said, you know, for Gentiles to be full-fledged children of Abraham, the men don't have to be circumcised and, and, uh, they don't have to eat kosher. You can, if you want to, but you don't have to, man, you know, how, how would people have, okay. How are you going to look to your family? If, if you're a Jew following Jesus and your family's not let there and you say, and I don't think circumcision is as central anymore as, as our tradition has had it. That's destabilizing, right? I I think the gospel has been destabilizing since the beginning. And then I can hear people say now, but you don't understand. No, my life's really unraveling. I was like, no, I do understand. This is what happens sometimes, Mm -hmm. right? This is the growth comes through pain. And I don't say that glibly or, you know, easily. I mean, I, I, I really understand it. I'm around it all the time. And like, it's, it's part of my life too, maybe for different reasons than for others. But th- this is the path of, you know, we're, we're used to thinking of things in a certain way. That's only human. But part of this Christian path is also dying to yourself. Mm. And that includes what you think. Not that, especially that, <laughs> you know, and letting go of that and, and not you know, relieving yourself of the pressure of having to maintain something, because if you don't, then where will I go? And what will I think? At that point, your faith is in your theology, Mm. not sort of nakedly in God, where maybe you get to learn about God differently or expanding your thinking and expanding your humanity like we were talking about before, you know? But I mean, I, I, I understand that's not an easy thing to tell somebody who's suffering and struggling. You know, uh, maybe just understanding and trying to impress upon them the normalcy of this process, that this is, ex- read the Psalms, <laughs> you know, just read the lament Psalms. Like, this is an old, old, old problem of people's lives becoming so deconstructed by reality that they don't know what to think about God anymore. Read Psalm 73, read Psalm 10. Those are two places to start. Read mm. Psalm 88, 89. 88. Yeah. These are people thinking like, Okay, I got this. I got this Yahweh thing. Holy crap. What's going on here? <laughs> Nothing makes sense anymore. 
Oh, so oh, good. You know what I mean? So it's just, it's, it's, in other words, I want to introduce the normalcy of this process that they've been told their whole lives they have to be afraid of. You can be uncomfortable. You probably should be, as we all should be. Mm. But it's not the end of the world. What if, what if God likes you? Wow. We always say God loves you. Forget that. What if God actually is like a rooting for you and is not waiting for you to make the right intellectual decision, but understands your struggle and says, I've struggled too, the whole Jesus thing, right? Wow. And I understand what that means. It's just, it, it opens up a freedom of a deeper reality that, that you know, the, the older way that they're leaving, it gave them a comfort, but it was a false sense of comfort. And there's, there are bigger and better things waiting and you can get there, especially with the help of other people who get it. Mm. That's so good, man. Thank you. I was going to ask a question, but it would just uh, completely devalue what you just said. So <laughs> sometimes you got to know when to hold them and when to fold them. I'm just going to uh, earmark that. What are yeah, you doing in yeah. two years, Pete? What are you, what are you doing two years from today? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll, we'll all be a little older. And oh. we'll still be saying freaking, probably. Oh, we will. If I had yeah. to guess, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, I, oh, yeah. Gosh. I think that's the. I think there's no better way to end it. Thank you so much. Uh, th- this book is amazing. People go out and get it. How the Bible actually works. It's uh, it's an easy to read book for for something that's tackling such de- dense subject matter. And it's of course the thing that I appreciate most about you. It's uh, it's also really funny. So yeah, it's a great <laughs> it's a great book. Hey, thanks for making some time. Yeah, thanks, Adam. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. Good some to meet you. Tonight. Yep. Thanks, man. Later. How in the world is how in the world is that conversation over already? I mean, how did that happen? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it, this book is so dense for only being, you know, it's not it's not super long, what a couple hundred pages maybe? Yeah, yeah, but like there's so much to cover in there though. A light couple hundred pages. Like this is a well-paced, fun to read, jammed with content book. Yeah, and, and he breaks it down. I love the way he kind of breaks it down into like almost like three sections, right? So we talk a, a little bit about it, you know, um, uh, during the during the interview, and also like it's in his it's in his subtitle. So like the fact that the Bible is ancient, ambiguous, and diverse, and then he goes into what he means by each of those three things, and and really sets sets the book up for like really what his you know premise is. Yeah. And, it, and it's really interesting and, and things that we take for granted, like the, just the ancient part, he puts it in perspective mm-hmm. in the book. I think it's so fascinating the way he does it. He's like, look, like the distance from, from then till now, like when some of the last books of the Bible were written until now right. is, is like, th- you know, and he puts it in perspective and you're just like, wow, this thing really is quite old. Oh, it's, it's crazy. You mean like the difference between like when some of the, uh, the earlier, like books of the law were written, like the Torah yeah. to, to all the way up to like some of like when the prophets stuff were written or like, you know, when some of those other books were written, it's like thousands of years. Yeah. This, this wasn't all written in uh, the course of a year by the same person or even persons, yeah. people, you know? And then like, yeah, the New Testament, you know, you know what I love about what he draws out in this book that's just Important to me right now. This is something that I'm learning how to put language to in process. So I'm going to make a couple leaps here. You're going to have to stay with me. <laughs> is a book about the Bible 
which, you know, Rob Bell released a book about the Bible, what, like, was that like a year and a half ago or something? Yeah. Something like that. And became like a New York Times bestseller. Mm-hmm. Similar, um, very long subtitle. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's becoming like a thing. Um, but, but here's the deal. Like, a book about the Bible that is going to become a popular, widely read book in 2019 is odd to me. Because a book, a book about the Bible is not something that you would expect people to, to want to pick up and read. And yet they do, because a book about the Bible is actually a book about God, whatever your thoughts are on God. And, and a book about God is actually a book about the question, what does it mean to live? How do you live well? Because any question about God, as Tillich would say, this is the jump that, stay with me. <laughs> Faith or, you know, God as a category, whatever, I'm using air quotes, God, is really just what are the matters of ultimate concern in life? Mm. What, or even more simply put, what matters? Anytime you're talking about what actually matters, you are talking about God, in my opinion. I mean, I really think you can make that jump. So a book about the Bible is a book about God, which is a book about living, which is a book about what matters. And this is super, we need this. It's an invitation. Yeah. We've got to do this stuff together, man. And we need people like Pete to take us to these places where we remember like, oh my gosh, I get to participate in this. Yeah. Which means we should be in community. Absolutely. Which we talked about on last week's episode. The importance of community. We're saving the world here, John. One podcast at a time. We are saving the world. But no, I think, I think, you know, I think that's a, a great point. And I think the whole theme of this book is just, you know, that the Bible is this active, living, breathing document or collection of documents that we're meant to engage with. Mm-hmm. And that not only is it a, an acceptable practice and it's not like some sort of evil, like, um, you know, negligent thing that you're partaking in, but it's actually part of the whole deal. It's amazing. We should be doing this. Yeah. You know, it's, it's an act of of part of your life of faith is to engage and, and view and read the Bible and, and adapt it to what we're going through now currently. Right. You know, what is the Bible saying to me now? You know, right. And to so many people that, um, even that language, like life of faith and like all this kind of stuff, if you're going through deconstruction or you've gone through it, like some of that stuff can just feel really uncomfortable again for all kinds of new reasons. Like, I don't know how to do that anymore, or that's my old life, or, you know, that makes me feel like my mom's looking over my shoulder, like she used to, or, you know, whatever it is. But at the end of the day, I think the point that I just want to keep making is, if, if you want to talk about what matters, then you're talking about faith. You're talking about life. You're, you're talking about God, no, no matter what that ends up looking like. So we got to do that. Yeah. Because we're doing this. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I just realized? What? In a week from when this podcast is airing. So you guys are listening to us right now. A week from now, Adam and I will be in England. Together. Together. Drinking fine ales. That's right. And eating mutton. Yes. (laughs) Mutton chops and haggis and... (laughs) Which I like to refer to as the Scottish hot dog. I'm sorry. That's just kind of, yeah. It's going to be super fun. Yeah, so uh, I know we mentioned this in the last podcast, but if any of you listeners out there are from the London area or Edinburgh, um, we will be, we'll, we'll put it out there on social media. Totally. But, um, 
like dates and stuff and like where we are, but we'd love at least for one night in either in both places to, uh, to meet up with somebody because who knows when we'll get the chance to do that again. Right. You know, this is my, uh, this is my birthday gift to myself, my early birthday gift. And you only have one of these. Party. And, yeah. Yeah. Happy birthday to you. I don't look it though. See, that's not at all. That's what I got going for me. No, you don't. I'm going to shave right before we go. So I look even more youthful. (laughs) (laughs) Can't shave your Scottish beard before you go to Scotland. That's a fair point. I won't, I won't let it happen. (laughs) I will not allow it. I banish all shaving. (laughs) So anyway, yeah. So come out, come out and meet up with us. We'll put it out on social media on the Twitters and the whatever else. Oh, I would love to give you guys a big American hug. Yes. I'm an extrovert. They're better. Fair warning. They're better. I will say that. American-made hugs are... Remember when I asked N.T. Wright for a hug? Yeah, and he kind of looked at you like... And he was like, uh... I don't know. I don't I know. I think, and then it was just happening before yeah. he knew it. <laughs> I think he once he was in the hug, he was he, like, dude, he oh, was it's so, nice. He it's was, safe here. He was so down. Yeah. I felt safe. I know. How can you not? <laughs> <laughs> oh, good times. I'm obviously tired. <laughs> we both are. We're rambling. But we are happy to be back. Yes. And whoever the musical guest is this week, because I just don't have the ability or capacity to think that far ahead. Um, find them in the show notes and please go support them. Follow us on Spotify, yes. uh, our playlist on Spotify, uh, where we updated every new episode. Uh, we, we update with the musical guest from that week. So go check it out there. Uh, go support them. Um, support us on Patreon if you feel so inclined. Uh, we do have a book club where every month we, uh, we send you out a book that may or may not be from a guest. Uh, sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. Sometimes whatever we're reading. Yeah. So check it out. There's a bunch of other packages you can sign up for. Um, or if you just want to support us, like if you, if the financial aspect is, is not something you can do, that's totally fine. Um, just tell your friends about us. Yeah. That's more than enough love. Start a conversation. Tell us about it. Give us a five-star review on Apple, uh, Apple podcast. That helps too. That is super helpful. Yes. Helps other people find us. So. All right. Well, We love you guys. Uh, thanks for hanging with us in 2019, which will always be known to us as the year that we almost died. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. We almost found out all the answers to everything we've been doing for three years. <laughs> oh, man. It's yeah. just, uh, it's really cool to just get to do this and to, to be in your ears right now, all you listeners out there, and be a part of your lives. So um, hopefully you're doing well. Hopefully uh, deconstruction and reconstruction is going well for you. If it isn't, you're not alone. Get in some community. Reach out to us if you need to. And um, for now, yeah, we are your hosts. I'm Adam Narlock. And I'm John Williamson. Keep deconstructing.
Nothing could restrain your love 